listening to 90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, Episode 98. Today, mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with John Torine, former NFL strength and conditioning coach and founder of Lean In Coaching, to talk about the current state of the development process for youth and young adult athletes. John shares an intimate story that took place at his son's Little League game that motivated him to invest his time in making sure that young athletes are getting the proper coaching and direction when playing the sport they love. People like John are the ones who make a difference and are willing to do the hard work in making sure our youth are provided with the right tools to get the lessons that prepare you for life. Hey, John, how are you? Good, Grant. How are you? I'm doing awesome. I'm, uh, I'm just really excited to have you on my show because we're going to talk about something that I, I feel like I talk about it a lot uh, indirectly on my show, but you and I are directly going to be talking about your passion for, for helping and developing youth athletes and young adult athletes and kind of talk about your processes and talk about just all the things that surround uh, athletes these days. So I'm, I'm really excited to kind of pick your brain. Same here. Looking forward to it. Uh, uh, certainly fun stuff for us to talk about. All right. Well, let's talk about mental toughness. Um, I always start off my show with, with this question and, and just knowing your background and all the things you've done throughout your background, I, I know that you have a good relationship with mental toughness. So what does mentally tough mean to you? Yeah, that's a what what, a, what an awesome question and, and a, a doozy to start with. There, it's it's uh, it's probably a, as polarizing a phrase as putting a bunch of scouts in a room and asking what athletic ability is. <laughs> um, you know, it's uh, it's interesting. But as as you think about mentally tough, and I was so fortunate to be around so many mentally tough uh, uh, ball players in my life and see it up up, up close, but, you know, a couple things really stand out to me in that, in that word grant. One is I know this people that tell you they're mentally tough. They're not, that's not the ones, right? The guy that tells you how tough he is usually isn't. It's the little guy that's got the ninth degree black belt in karate that doesn't say a word that you got to look out for. Um, and so I think, I think toughness comes in a lot of, of, of ways. And it doesn't mean you have to be quiet or loud or anything. But I think, you know, you look at words, and I know these words are thrown around a lot now, but words like like resiliency, right, ability to bounce back. All you got to do is watch, you know, the reason people fell in love with Rocky is not because he had an undefeated record. Matter of fact, he wasn't even, his record wasn't even very good. <laughs> right. Right. It was resiliency, right, to bounce back. Um and to climb the mountain, really, that was his 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 own mount, right? He may have been trying to beat Clubber Lang and the rest of them, but this own mountain to climb against adversity. And when I see mentally tough people and mentally tough folks, I think that there's this, I think a few things stand out. I think there's a consistency to them. I think that there is, again, a resiliency, right? What happens when you fall off, like, right? You know, you don't judge a sailor in calm seas. Show me the storm and we'll judge the sailor, right? The yeah. character of the sailor and the resiliency of the sailor. And so I think this consistency, I think understanding the outcome that they're looking for, but that they don't bore of the process that they know is heading them on that journey to the outcome. Um, and they don't get derailed like, the greatest people in the world don't bore of the process. So what makes a Kobe Bryant so tough? You know, Kobe never bored of the process. Peyton Manning never bored of the process of preparation and this consistent singular focus in the midst of all these emotional roller coasters that they have this ability to ride the wave, not resist it, but go with it. And, and, and that becomes very, very apparent. Um, we can all take a punch at some point and get up. I don't know that that's the mentally tough thing. I think it's this consistent singular focus that you don't bore the process. You have habitual 
daily disciplines and and the world's flying by you and it doesn't affect it. And I think that's what, regardless of what's going on, I don't care if it's, you know, third and 10 and you need a first down or you're, God forbid, in a dangerous situation. I think your, your, which the tools that you have bring that mental toughness. And I really believe there's a, a skill to it that you, that you pave that, you know, neural pathway over time. Absolutely. I'm a hundred percent. And I want to get your thought on this because I I hear this a lot. You know, we we hear this a lot in society about just be mentally tough and, and having a mental game, but to be mentally tough, don't you have to be physically tough as well? You know? Yeah. I, what, what I believe is this. And and when I say, I believe, you know, I tell people I've been so lucky to be around so many amazing, amazing people that I don't know that I've ever had an original thought but, um, but when I think there's, there's three pieces, right? I think there's a physical character characteristics that you have. Um, I think that there's a, a moral character that you have to have and a performance character, like, right. Do I perform? Do I have the knowledge, skills, and abilities to, to do things? Do I have the moral character, right? The ethics, my values, things like that. And to your point, this physical character, I think that that helps you, but we've all seen like, we've all seen the, the, the well-built strong person, um, not be that tough. A matter of fact, I could argue, you know, there's many guys and this is going to sound horrible, but you know, many of us have gone to the gym to put on tough muscles as a mask, right? Um, probably a lot of the reason people take, you know, not to get into this conversation, but perhaps a lot of the reason people take, uh, illegal steroids and other things would be that they lack a mental toughness. Mm. Um, and that gives them, you know, some type of, of, of surface confidence that really doesn't exist on a deep level, um, to show up that way. So, you know, I mean, I know plenty of tough people that are in wheelchairs, you know, so, so I would say, yeah, there's part of that, but I think that comes from, uh, that comes from part of your habits that you put into something. And then, um, the, what you tell yourself about yourself, Right. That, hey, my right. body is physically, you know, my body is physically ready for this challenge. And I've trained for this and I can I can handle it. and you believe it. You're not, you know, you're not BSing yourself. If you're authentically telling yourself, then, yeah. And, and look, you know, there's there's people that thrive on being physically bad or things like that. But certainly a training of your physical body, whether military sport or otherwise, of course, that that is a supporting system of course well i love i love when you bring up um telling yourself because when you're in a mentally tough situation right you're a lot of times when you when you want to give up or when it gets a little too much at that in that moment you start to listen and that's what i teach athletes all the time empower yourself teach like you got to teach yourself to talk to your thoughts because if you start listening to how your body feels, you start listening to that that little devil on your shoulder, the gremlin, whatever you want to call it, that can that that can stop you. Because when you're dead tired and that one thought of like I want to stop, most likely you're gonna stop or you're gonna give up, right? And it's it's those moments to be mentally tough. I believe that you need to talk to it. You gotta empower yourself, and you'd be amazed, man, if you have a good relationship with your self talk, how that can get you through the storm. I think that's beautiful, Grant. I think that's that's really beautiful, right? We all we all have two innate, uh, probably biological characteristics as humans, right? We uh, fear and 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 the fear of not being enough, right? And so right. everything we do either is to get away from fear or to be loved, right? Um, uh, whether yourself or others, but it's it's really you know to have this to your point this certainty that I can do this and you believe it, um, which, you know, when the only one that knows is when you, when you put your head on that pillow at night, you're the only one that knows if you're being true, um, to yourself that way. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, look, I've talked myself out of plenty of things, right. I'm sure we all have. Yeah. Um, it's easy to do, right. Because that's, it's comfort, right. Comfort, it's safety, it's secure. 
you know, but when you get to the, to the top of the self-actualized pyramid, whatever the hell, I don't, you know, I'm not there, but somebody that is, <laughs> uh, certainly would, uh, would understand that. T- totally. Totally. Now, can you, can you share a specific time throughout your career where you had to be mentally tough, whether if it was you or, and I know you've been surrounded and worked with tons of athletes and, and people within the sporting world. Uh, maybe you can pull from that as far as uh, maybe a, a story, an antidote of someone being mentally tough. So can you share a specific time? I mean, look, you know, as a spent 17 years as a strength coach in the NFL and was around some of the, in the sports world, some of the toughest human beings um, that ever were in sports, um, way back to the Jim Kellys and Bruce Smiths up through the Reggie Waynes and Peyton Manning's and Jeff Saturdays and Robert Mathis's and folks. And um, the nice part was I didn't have to be tough, you know. Um, <laughs> they they did it for the rest of us. Um, the times I had to be tough was was to be tough for for the players, whether on their behalf, um, uh, tough on them in terms of when they got into that type of talk, any guys being there, being a, a mirror of truth in their world. And it's more, uh, a supportive toughness of, you know, it's in there and, and this is just a time, but I mean, you know, I think some of the toughest things, uh, certainly in the NFL, are what people don't see and what happens between Monday and Saturday, right? You know, um, and really what happens when guys are come back from injury. You know, you talk about, we talked about being self-actualized. Well, in the, in the world of the NFL, Peyton Manning hit a point where, you know, he's as, <laughs> as high a level as anybody that's ever played the game on the planet. And then he goes and has very public, you know, he's out for the year in 2012 uh, or 2011, one of those years um, with his, with his next stuff and went down to, you know, uh, you know, not, you know, without getting deep into it, not being able to throw a football and to come back um, to set the NFL record in, in touchdowns and things like that from where he was that very few people fortunately saw on a daily basis, you know, is, is one example of, of that. And the, to the toughness I, I was around was this, you know, that I always appreciated and saw was, you know, seeing a guy go from, you know, on the field, devastating injury, which most of the reason they're upset is not the pain it's the tapes they start running in their head of, is this, is this the end? Is my career over? Is my life over? What's going to happen? And every other conversation they're having with themselves, literally as they're getting taken off on the car, it's not about the ACL at that point, right? That's what they're crying about, to be quite frank. Yeah. Um, uh, and then to go from the operating table to then back to playing is amazing. And, you, and it's not the work that's amazing. You know, most most people can get through the work. It's, to your point before, it's every damn day what you're telling yourself and the self-doubt and the external doubt, <laughs> uh, let alone the internal doubt. You know, I, I don't, you know, specific anecdotes, I don't know. I just, you know, one, you know, seeing that is really amazing, amazing in the sports world, in the sports world. Totally. And I mean, just bringing up Peyton is a, is a beautiful example of you know, not only mental toughness and grit and resiliency, but you know when you, when you think about what he went through, you know we we celebrate the fact that he did come back and he he did come back and win a Super Bowl and we love that story, but I think what we fail to do sometimes is like really try to understand what that journey looked like for him, like from an intimate standpoint. And when you think about the five stages of grief, like what was, what was his emotional state? Uh, and, and you bring up some great questions. Like when you go through something like that, you start to 
your your mortality as an athlete starts to be in check. How is this done? Am I being forced out of this sport that I love? Um, what's going to happen to my reputation? All these things, and these are real things. And it happened to me when I actually left the game of football with a career-ending injury. So, and I didn't have a chance to bounce back. So, but it's 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 what I invite my listeners and people out there is that you know we love these comebacks. We love this these stories of mental toughness and grit. But sometimes uh, we need to kind of look at what was it, literally, what were the things that that athlete had to go through to get to the other side? Yeah, it's it's amazing. You know, you think about this, and, and look, I always told these guys, look, you had, you know, whatever the time frame was, okay, you got a 48-hour pity party. Like, go be pissed off, go be angry, go yeah. to, your, you know, your five, you know, you're not going to five stage degrees in 48 hours, but... Go. It's okay. Like it's okay to be pissed off. Don't you don't need to cover that up. Like you. Matter of fact, I I'd be concerned if you weren't. And yeah. you know, take your pity party and and then you tell me what day your pity party is over. That doesn't mean go on a bender. It means have a mental pity party. Mm-hmm. And you tell me when that's through, and that's when we'll start. Right. Um, and whatever time you need. Right. And so you know, imagine somebody walking into Jeff Bezos' office and going telling him and tearing his ACL and they say, you're done running Amazon. He'd be like, what? Yeah, you're done. It's over. How do you think he would handle that? Right? Like, so the top of his game and somebody walks in or any hotshot CEO that's 35 years old and somebody walks in and says, you're done. Well, I'm at the top of my game. No, I know. I understand that. You're done. Right. No, I don't know how many of us would handle that very well. You know, (laughs) and then it would be like, now what do I do? Because and by the way, you can no longer do this particular job. So go reinvent yourself and go figure out what you're going to do next. Have a nice day. Now, if you don't have those skills and support in place, that's a lonely road. And again, it's not so we don't need to have a telethon for anybody here. But, you know, think about that. And then. And then that's just somebody telling you you're done. Now add, I may never walk the same, right? I don't know if I can play with my kids the same. It's tough. And again, I don't bring this up to be depressing or, or to, to suggest no, that we should feel sorry. Yeah. And so, you know, you think about that. I know you've changed careers. That's tough. I've changed career. Like, it's not easy. We all go through these transitions in life. You go from, you might go from single to married to kids and kids out of the house, like the transitions in life that's where you you need to have these skills in place or go find them to help you get through those transitions so you can you can level up to whatever's next totally well i'm loving that we're having a discussion because this is um this is real i mean i we all we're all going to go through transition we're all going to have things that are that are unexpected and unknown and, and how do we deal with it and, and so this is i mean we could probably actually table this and, and have a, a complete podcast <laughs> on on that on that topic. But uh, but let's let's switch gears a little bit and, and get into yeah. the core of our discussion today, which is around development of, of youth and young uh, young adult athletes. And the reason why I want to bring this up is because you and I had a conversation about a month ago or so. And I want to let my listeners know that when John and I got on the phone, we we just started sprinting on the on the topic of, of just helping like all the different things that we can do to help young athletes. So I'm like, you know what, to me, it was like, it was very, it was, it was easy, but it was very poignant for me to have you on the show to talk about that. So, so when you think about this topic of developing the youth and young athletes, uh, why do you have such a passion to coach and mentor young athletes? Yeah, it's funny because I I didn't know that my life was going to transition here um after after my nfl career um and and that's what life is it's funny it you know i could certainly go back to my days um playing high school ball and getting hurt and all these things and coaches that i've had and teachers and guidance counselors and i think that all plays into it um and and if i can give you a quick story that'll answer the question if you don't mind yeah um and kind of what, what, what preceded this and, 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 and where it went. 
when I was in Indianapolis, um, and so I'm going, but my, my younger son, I have two boys, both are in high school right now. One's a junior, one's a sophomore. My younger boy was in second, I believe second to third grade at the time. And, uh, I hadn't been around youth sports since I was, I helped coach a pop Warner team when I was in college, uh, for, for fun. And that was the last time I had even seen a youth sport. And I was, I did an awful job, uh, in terms of how I coached the kids as I look back. But, uh, so I, I came, my, my son was playing baseball. He was on a baseball team. And this was out in Indiana where you, you will not meet nicer, better people, um, family values and things like that than where I, I lived in Indiana, just a, a just a wonderful Midwest, uh, folks. I'm, I'm a New Jersey guy, so I'm a jerk, so I can appreciate what <laughs> good looks like. Um, but, um, so it was wonderful, but I came, uh, over to the field and I hadn't been around you sports and I hadn't seen my son play all that much due to schedules and times and things like that with pro sports. And, um, and I came on a field and I could still see it, smell it, taste it, feel it, everything. I walked down the grass and I see absolute chaos going on. Uh, looked to be the field he was on and his team. And as I came on and I'll, I'll spare you a lot of details, but, um, I see umpires screaming. I see coaches yelling. I see kids crying. I see bats and gloves being thrown. I see it look like it look like uh, I see parents on the backstop of the cage, literally shaking the cage like animals. Wow! And I and I, and I, come, I was like, "What in the hell is going on here?" And the umps throwing the coaches out, and they finally got things settled down. And I sat. I was like, "What is going on?" I sat next to a friend of mine, and I said to him, "I said, well, hey man, what is going on here? What the heck is going on?'" And he looked at me as puzzled about me being confused as the question he's like, what are you talking about? And I said, what? I said, are you not watching this? And he said, no, this is just a Saturday in baseball. And I said, are you kidding me? And I, so I, I started, I had many more questions for him. <laughs> right. And I, you know, I said, what, what's the deal? What's going on? And, and all that. I happened to know the commissioner. It sounds funny because it was second grade, but they have a commissioner for the league. And I happened to know him and he called me later that evening. And he goes, hey, I saw you there at the game. He goes, what do you think I should do with the coach? And I said, well, gee, for, you know, I, I don't even know how you sort this out. So I had a long discussion with him about today's youth sports world after learning that this was a normal course of the day. And I said, this is absolute insanity. And what, what of this is good? Like, what, are, what of this is helping these kids? Uh, because sports is a terminal experience. Life is a terminal experience, but it certainly lasts a lot longer than sports, right? Mm -hmm. And life really, if you're a Simon Sinek fan, is, you know, we all come and go, but life's infinite, right? And so we have an opportunity to do better for the next than ours. And so that night I hung up the phone and I said to myself, if I ever have an opportunity to help this youth sports world, because I can't stand to see these kids so upset and so um, confused over what our generation has done. And I believe all this mess really just happened this generation. I believe our generation are, you know, we're, we're not baby boomers or we're not millennials. We're in our, you know, thirties, forties, fifties. Yes. Um, we have caused this. I think the kids are fine. And I think that, um, we have, we have flipped this thing so crazy um, with this professionalization of youth sports, as, as the great Joe Ehrman talks about, um, uh, that it's become an absolute, it's become a business where the only business of sports really should be pros. And you can argue big college one way or the other. It's not for today. But um, so I said to myself, if there's a way to help this thing, I will. But I got to learn more about it. Like, what is going Maybe was, was this an isolated incident? which I learned it wasn't, <laughs> um, you know, what is going on and after talking to my own boys and, and, and other things and, and then being around it. And so, um, not too long after that, we were done in the NFL and I really started diving into this youth sports world. And it was really, really upsetting to me because, um, you know, from the stamp, you know, everybody talks about our, 
the health and our health care is, is, is also a problem, right? More obesity, more diabetes, more lifestyle diseases, more problems. Um, but I know this. Um, sports can be a wonderful thing. And again, to, to, to quote Joe Ehrman, you know, sports, um, everybody thinks sports builds character. It's not true. Um, uh, Marv Levy, who used to coach the Buffalo Bills, used to say sports doesn't build character, it reveals it. Well, if you listen to Joe Ehrman as well, Joe will tell you that sports can teach character because character can be learned. But in order for sports to teach character, it must be taught. And, and it's a skill. And if it can be taught, it can be learned. And so what we've learned is um, we have this generation growing up with more anxiety, more depression, more suicide, more opioid use and abuse, um, more problems. Um, You know, we can all get into the discussions around social media and Xboxes and all these other things that are all factors, I'm sure. Um, But when I look at what has gone on in the youth sports world, and what sports has become, it's, it's, and the business it's become, I think it's a shame what's gone on. We have coaches that, and look, 99% of parents and coaches are, love their children and are absolutely well-intended. I'm not talking about the 1% that's not, that we'll never get to. It's just, they've not been around. They don't know what these skills are. Look, I don't know accounting. I don't know 99% out of a hundred things in this world either, right? So if you put me in a room of accountants or hedge funds or anything else, and I tried to act like I know what I was doing, I'd probably screw it up a lot, right? And I'd be well-intended. I'd want to get my taxes right. I just don't know that I would know how, right? And so (laughs) we look at what's gone on um, with these kids and it's really, you know, I went to a local meeting here and I told them they, they should be in jail for child abuse. You know, we have seven-year-olds playing baseball 350 days of a year with trainers and the business around it. We have just just poisoned these wonderful things. Now, here's the, here's the positive spin on it. What a wonderful place to teach character, moral character, performance character, physical character. Um, on the sports world. And so as I've worked really, really hard to dive in and see, I've, I've really, I've created this statement around my mission and my just cause, which, um, and I say my, I'm sure it's a lot of people's, but the, the words that I like to use is, you know, we want to transform this sports experience so that kids may grow and develop into virtuous leaders who are a force for good. Mm. Nowhere in that state, grant does it say that they will be the next Derek Jeter nowhere in that statement do we say that the D1 scholarship is the outcome that I'm looking for and come hell or high water that's what we're going to do that's a side effect if it happens and I can assure you your kid's not Derek Jeter I promise you he's not um and that doesn't mean to crush dreams that's not what I'm saying um but to use this sports platform for what it is is what we really want to be about, I don't know where else we're going to teach these things at the level and the environment that, that has a space for teaching it. But if we're not teaching the coaches and we're not showing the parents how we can do that, then look at what's happening with the kids and go to any ball field where we're seeing parents fighting coaches. We've, we've, we've lost our collective minds. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and I'm sorry to, to go on and on like this, but um, this is this is where I am um, in, in, in my world these days, and I've seen it firsthand. Yes, I've coached in the NFL, and I've also coached rec basketball um, because my the kids and their friends wanted me to. I never I never I said I'm your dad. I'm gonna sit in the stands, um, and I've I've been around it, and I've seen what's gone on, and it's it's sad and it's it's terrible. Um, because there are well-intended people doing malintended things because they don't know and it's hurting the kids yeah. and, and physically not abusive. I'm not talking about that, but their physical character, the moral character. And so what are we growing them into? And that's where we want to really make a difference, um, in their world. I don't, I don't care if they, they can bat or not. 
Um, now we're going to teach them. And I'm not talking about cupcakes and unicorns and participation trophies, Grant. That's not what I'm talking about. Right. Competition is wonderful. Um, you know, we, we've learned and, you know, the research, I'm sure, the, the participation trophy thing backfired on those that thought it was a good idea. Um, the kids that won the trophy didn't put as much value in the winning, and the kids that got the last place knew it was a bunch of nonsense. And so it devalued everybody's esteem around participation trophies. So that didn't work, right? And so, you know, it's not that. It's it's teaching the kid, but it's got to be an alignment with parents, coaches, uh, stakeholders and administrators in the, in the organizations. But I'm a grassroots guy. I like going right to the coaches. I like going right to the teachers. I like going right to the parents and right to the kids and, and, and helping them with the skills to work on themselves so that they can serve each other. Awesome. I love it. And, you know, while you're talking, uh, I mean, this is, it's, it's, it's real and it's an issue and it's so it's timely because I, I saw not too long ago an interview with Frank Martin, who's the head basketball coach for University of South Carolina, uh, who's just an incredible coach. And mm-hmm. and it was it, someone was bringing up you know this day and age of of athlete and kids and millennials, and he got I don't know if you saw the the interview, but he got all fired up. He was like. He's like, I'm sick and tired of people saying, like, it's the millennials and it's the kids. Nothing's <laughs> changed with the kids. It's you. You have changed. You're the one that are not holding these kids accountable. You're the one that's not stepping up and being the parent and being the coach that you need to be, you know, that, that you want to be. It's not about the kids. Kids are being kids. Nothing's changed about them. Yes, there's social media. Yes, there's there's Xboxes and all that stuff, Nintendos, but... That's up to you to actually hold them accountable. It's not them. Nothing's changed. So it's it's great that you're bringing it up because there's a huge opportunity because our, our culture has changed. Our generation is changing. But we're the adults here. We're the one driving the car. So it's it's people like you that are, you know, standing up and 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 being that, that force to kind of kind of recheck us as adults to make sure that we're holding these these kids regardless if they're millennials, whatever you want to call them, they're still kids and, and, and we need to shape them. No doubt. I, boy, what, a, what a, I didn't see that clip. I couldn't agree with him more. And, and it's funny. And this is an opinion of course, but um, I tell my kids all the time and their friends, I'm like, I'm going to tell you this. I'm, I'm 46 years old. It is so much harder in my opinion to be a kid now than when I was a kid way hard yeah. like way hard yeah yeah um totally. with with social media and re- like what and and i tell them i said the things that you guys can't get away with that was a light day for me you know <laughs> like <laughs> like if they would have had all these cameras and stuff you know jersey shore wasn't invented when they first turned the cameras on there's plenty of people doing jersey shore stuff before those cameras were on you know what i'm right, saying yeah and uh so i think he's dead on and it's, it, it is, it's, it's, it, and it, it's boring. You know why? Because it's just fundamental values. It's not old school. It's just, you know, the word accountability is, is as strong a word as there is, you know, that, that, that he used. And, you know, whether it's, you know, I'm sure a guy with your skills can dive into and peel it back, but it's a fear of missing out. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's college. It, there's so much stuff, but like raising people with values and, and to, like it still can be done even when with social media and stranger danger and all, you know, what, my grandparents had different things than my, my parents, my parents had different things than I got. I got different things that my kids have. Their kids will have God knows what, right. right. That's, that's just stuff, right. That's just different widgets and, and things that are flying by, but we're human beings, man. Like, you know, I don't know that the, the logical brain has changed that much recently, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Well, I, I want to turn the focus a little bit on the on the educational system. Um, it's kind of a two part question here, but uh, where do you think we can improve uh, within the educational system in in providing resources for young athletes? And and so I know this is going to be two questions here, but um, and why do you think that there's a very small amount of mental performance coaches at the high school level? And and don't get me wrong, I know there's a ton of them out there that are working with teams, like an individual team for the season, but I'm talking about a school having 
a mental performance coach for the program or coaches for the whole athletic program? Why do you think we're, there's only just a few of them throughout the, throughout the country? Yeah, interesting. So to your first point, I believe you're speaking in school's formal education in terms of, 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 of that yeah. within your question. And this may sound funny. It's funny. I think first and foremost is empower the teachers and let's put, you know, it's going to, it's going to sound like a political uh, uh, show, but let's like, I believe this in, in my heart of hearts and coming, I can't believe now if you'd have seen what I did to teachers in high school, I probably owe most of an apology, but um, uh, I shouldn't, I was always respectful, but, and you know, respect was big in my house, but, but, uh, 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 I like to have a little fun, but anyhow, I, if we can empower these teachers who, who, you know, their, their job is not to raise our children, empower them. And actually what an honorable profession, right? Like unbelievably honorable profession teachers. Totally. Because if you're a coach and I don't care if you're a mental performance coach, strength conditioning coach, basketball. Just look at the great John Wooden who thought of himself as a teacher. He didn't think of himself as a coach. And, and, and when you look over, um, I haven't really studied it recently, but uh, in Japan, a teacher is an honored, honored profession. And it should be. And what an opportunity these people have not to teach them the times tables or American history. What a powerful platform an impactful person because we can all remember our favorite in two seconds if I asked you, and we can all remember the one we would have just liked to <laughs> not say nice things about in two <laughs> right, seconds right. and everybody in between. And they have this power. And, and many of us are scarred by labeling from teachers. And many of us went on to do wonderful things because one teacher said one thing to us one time, right? What a powerful profession. Now what we're doing to them in this country is absurd. And so it's like any other profession. I heard uh, Colin Cowherd say this one time on his show, uh, his sports show. He said, you know, if you start reducing the salary of, of pilots, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get worse pilots applying to be pilots. Do you really want to lower that standard of your pilot when you get on the plane? Well, teachers are the same way. If we keep lowering your salaries and people don't want to come out being teachers because it's not honorable and it doesn't get you um, – past, you know, living paycheck to paycheck, you're going to start lowering standards. And the people that are okay with that will show up, but we're not getting the best of the best. And the best of the best should be teaching our kids. And so I think that's really where, number one, we have to empower the teachers, help them as parents support them. If your kid screwed up in school and the teacher said so, he probably did. He probably did. You know, it like, right, <laughs> like right. let's support that, right? You know, and then and then hold them to it, and let's teach that. And resources wise, you know, we do a lot of professional development with physical education teachers. Um, I think professional development around around what they're doing, letting them teach, letting you know, let's and 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 you know, uh, soapbox here, of course, but um, uh, let's get back to teaching for learning versus versus these poor teachers that have to somehow make some metric about some standardized test that doesn't freaking matter and sit in these kids all day to, to, to train for a test that doesn't mean a whole hell of a lot in the long run other than some metric with a bunch of spreadsheet people making graphs to show some school over another which means nothing either and and that alone has also caused the reduction of physical education, the reduction of physical literacy, and the increase in obesity and lifelong participation in sports and everything else because we've taken away some of the arts and we've taken away physical education. Yeah. And so we've got a, a tough spin here. Um, but but again, and, and you got me fired up here, Grant. You got me excited. Man, it starts with the teachers, not the administrators and, you know, Support the damn teachers, and they will go to the end of the earth for your child. They will. Totally. Absolutely. Oh, the, the mental performance thing. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, unless you want me to shut up for a minute. No, no. Which uh, you probably do. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, elaborate on that because, you know, and, and again, this is, I'm only coming from my, my lens on this is when you actually go on LinkedIn and you actually put in, you know, mental performance director, coach, 
at the high school level. Um, and I'm excluding IMG because IMG has, you know, they got like <laughs> 15 mental performance coaches on staff, um, which is an incredible institution. And I love what they're doing over there. But, but outside of that, I want to say there's, I don't know, a handful, maybe up to 10 people. I mean, that's, to me, it's like, wow, like, there's such a huge opportunity for schools to have another layer of resource for, because, uh, you know, there are great coaches out there. There are incredible coaches that can teach the mental game. But if you're going to try to coach the game, the person, the mental game, the student, like all the layers that comes with being a student athlete, that's a lot for one coach or for a coaching staff. So I, I just, I don't know. I mean, and again, I'm, I'm kind of talking in your space right now, but I just, I don't know. I just feel like there's a huge opportunity to employ more mental performance coaches for a program for at the high school level. There is grant. And, and look, let's get the, let's get the financial piece off this conversation for a quick second by addressing it real quickly. Right. So nothing's expensive if you value it. Right. The Ferrari's only expensive. You know, I, I knew a guy that used to say this, he used to say, if you have to ask how much it is, you can't afford it. Right. But, um, the thing is only expensive if you either don't value it enough or you don't have it. Right. So, Everybody's first answer is, well, how can we afford to pay a mental performance? Well, you haven't yet seen the value, right? So I would first flip it on folks like yourself. Um, I'm not a uh, – I, I thought I was going to major in sports psychology way back, but um, and this brings me to a little bit of the answer too, but I went to the physical side, which is part of this. But um, I'm not a sports psychologist, but the un, until guys like yourself and guys like me – and and any and and other folks show the value, not the inferiority complex, the value of what it is, and what the importance is, not only in the arenas and the tracks and the fields and the courts, but in navigating. You know how hard it is to be a teenager, like <laughs> yes. like navigating that. Like half, you know, I spent a lot of time with my kids and their friends. It's one of the, it's one of the reasons that I'm not in the NFL anymore is is so I could really be around them. Um, and, and I love it and it's a blast and 99 out of a hundred of the conversations are around just, of course, stupid, you know, fun, right. Kid right. stuff. Yeah. Typical nonsense. But are when the conversations get real, they're around life stuff, right? Life skills and, and the tools that they either have or don't, they were either taught it or they weren't right. And so we're not born with it. Right. It's like racism. You have to be taught. it. You're not born with it. Right. right. So you got to be taught these skills. And so, um, you know, I don't suggest I'm not. <laughs> but I didn't say that. I'm not suggesting <laughs> teaching racism. I'm just making a point. No, no, no. I hear you. Right. I hear you. God love the coaches that are working with our kids. And God loves the one, you know, we've got some coaches where I live that connect with our kids wonderfully. And we've got some coaches that I wouldn't let coach my dog for the way they would talk to people. Right. Mm. And, but look, your realtor who's selling houses 10 hours a day and then comes coaches your kids youth sport. What the hell do they know about that? I'm not talking about the skills of a sport. What do they know about connecting with a kid? Right. What do they know about the mental side? What do they know about when things get tough and handling it the right way? What do they know about teaching character? And look, I don't expect them to know it either. They're, they're selling houses all day, right? But somebody put them in front of your children. Yeah. So when I signed up to coach rec basketball grant and the same week I signed up to get a library card where I live locally, it took me longer to get the library card than it did to, for them to pass my paper through to coach rec basketball. That means I'm going to be with your children multiple hours a week, in many cases by myself. So as long as I pass that I'm not a sex predator, I can coach your kids. You have no idea what I'm saying to them. You have no idea how I'm behaving. You have no idea. And I'm not talking about even abuse. I'm just talking about simple things. Yeah. Right. Labeling things like this. And so we need to show the value. Number one, Coaches that coach a sport know the sport. They may have picked up the, and, and the ones that know how to, you know, that that do know how to connect, that are educators as well. Wonderful. When I the reason I became a strength coach is I got so 
engrossed with the idea that after I realized I wasn't going to play for the New York Giants like every other ninth and tenth grader, <laughs> finally realized this uh, around where I live. I said, "Oh my God, I got to take this swamp uh, that I have for a gene pool here and try to maximize it because I really wanted to play college football." And the best, you know, my best was was D two. D3 was more likely, but how do I maximize? I became really intrigued by how you optimize your genetics and, and how you can do that. And I became really intrigued with the exercise physiology piece of how you do that. And it was only later that I realized that it was really the neck up stuff that mattered. Well, where we are now, Grant, is, you know, there were no, when I was, when I was an assistant strength coach with the Bills in the NFL, most teams, some teams didn't even have, most teams didn't have an assistant strength coach. Now they're loaded down, right? Strength coaches are everywhere. Strength coaching in sports is a relatively new thing. Relatively new. I'm hoping that's where we get with the mental performance is because nobody knew what strength coach. What is that? What do they do? Hey, well, the, the D-line coach can do it. You know, they're strong. You know, they have muscles. They must know what they're doing. Right. Well, it's not the case. So I'm hoping, my hope is guys like yourself and others can show the true value of the skills you can teach the kids. Cause I can assure you, and as a, as a former strength coach, it's a lot more important than your bench press. <laughs> totally. Big time. Well, here, here's an interesting question since we're talking about it. Um, when you look at major league baseball, uh, I, I believe, you know, outside of Olympics, but I believe that major league baseball is doing a great job and have been for a while to push the whole, mental performance aspect and the training of it to the forefront. And I think the NBA is falling right behind. They're, they're, doing, they're creating some good momentum with it. They're, they're hiring a lot of, of professionals like myself for teams throughout the NBA. But I, I believe the NFL is behind the curve. Uh, that's just my perspective. I could be wrong. But I, I, I know that there's some teams that have a sports psychologist. But as far as... Uh, having more mental performance coaches and coordinators, whatever title you want to give it. But I, I feel like the NFL is behind the curve. Why do, you, why do you think the NFL hasn't really adopted or embraced mental performance and, and start hiring more people within organizations? Yeah, interesting. So, you know, I've done a lot of work. I've been really fortunate to, to work with a bunch of teams in, in baseball um, through some things, and I'm so impressed. Uh, with a lot of the things that, that baseball has done and is doing in a very traditional sport. I think baseball was set up for that because, as, as we're all aware, baseball is truly a failure sport, right? You know, if, if, you, if you connect on three out of ten, you know, if you go three out of ten, you're probably going to the Hall of Fame. Right? If you <laughs> fail seven times right, right at bat, you're going to the Hall of Fame, right? And so it's a failure sport. And so with that, well, and every sport is, well, how do I get a millimeter better, right? Especially in, in a sport like baseball, which requires everything from unbelievable gross athleticism to such fine motor skills. And, and you look at the NBA um, from afar and don't think there, but, you know, I think, and I, I don't know this, but as an observer, you know, when, when guys like Kevin Love step up yeah, and, and have the guts and courage and actually mental toughness, to, to say, hey, I got some stuff going on. I love what Dwayne Wade did. Uh, uh, I don't know if you saw that when he, when he retired. And, you know, totally. what are you going to do? Is the first the first thing I'm doing is going to get. I don't know if it's a psychologist or count whatever it was, but uh, the the title or profession. But I'm going to get some help in figuring out what the heck to do. I don't. I'm a, I play basketball now. I don't know what I'm going to do next. Right. Like like what an amazing, self aware, yep. incredibly vulnerable thing. Because Dwayne Wade doesn't have to say jack. Right, and and so I think that's really really helpful. I think LeBron's helping the message, and I've heard all his the the latest advertisements about this app and all these things. But but uh, uh, money aside and other things, I think that things like I hope mindfulness isn't becoming a junk term too soon. But what a, it's a great term if you truly define it right. And and things like meditation. You ask about the NFL. Um, I think the NFL has inherently a lot of still uh, machismo type of things. Mm. Um, I think, though, when you talk to individuals, some great, great, great guys in the NFL, man, high character, giving, amazing human beings, family men, things like that that want to do well in the world. 
um, and for the world. And I think from a team standpoint, um, which is, is heavily coach influenced, it becomes difficult. And I'm not making statements about teams or which one does what or whatever they do, but um, you know, what, what message, the messaging to your team is so critical that the fear that the messaging is different than, than the messaging coming from leadership, I think is one potential thing. I think, um, now we used to, we had sports psychologists where I was and, and, and thing, and it was wonderful. Um, and you know, unfortunately the stigma that still exists, I think it's getting better. I know it's getting better. And I think that's where this generation of kids and players is even better. It's a little bit more of that, but I think it's the typical, you know, I, I hate to say it, but there's still so much stigma, you know, don't come, don't come brainwash me. You know, I think that is out there, but again, the more it appears to be, um, I'm not a, I hate titles and things, but as you start talking about mental performance coach versus sports psychologist, like that's one thing in the right direction right mm-hmm. right because what's a strength coach a physical performance coach right and so normalizing it is helpful you know i don't know why it hasn't perhaps taken off in the nfl but i don't know what goes on at every team you know right it may have it may have not it's the way it's placed it's the way it's done if i was ever in charge of a team is it is it a role i would hire yeah immediately yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just um I don't know. I've I know there's there's some out there in the NFL, but and I've kind of felt the same way. I feel like there's the machismo, the bravado, um, you know, just kind of the the stigmatism of of the sport, you know. But I think um, like Dane, you know, with Wade and and Kevin Love and and all these people, it, it doesn't even have to be basketball. I think there's just a lot of we're at society. I don't think we're where we need to be with you know mental performance and, and mental health awareness. But I think we're definitely we're, we're we're going in the right direction. I think just in time, I think it just it's just going to be a part of our fabric for society that there's going to be more roles in organizations, like within the workplace, within the educational system, within athletics. I think it's it's going to get there. It's just going to take some some more time. Yeah, I don't think there's any question. You know, you start, you, you look at, you know, when when guys like Les Brown and Tony Robbins and Jack Canfield, um, and these ty- the, these folks in the personal development space, you know, started looking at it as coaching in some level. Yeah. Um, and now, how many so-called life coaches are there? And now, how many coach career and relationship and all these different type of coaches, which is all a much more tame way of saying, I'm going to give you some mental performance stuff. Yep. You know, Jack Canfield's book, one of his books is called the success principles. But if you go through the success principles and you read it, or you take any of his courses, you'll see as deep and amazing things in there around mental performance as you will in anything. It's just the right. I'm going to give you these success principles, which work. And they do. Wonderful. Um, I have intimate knowledge of these. I can speak to it on, on Canfield stuff. But when you dive in, it's like into the principles themselves. Yeah, it's like sitting. It's like you're sitting with a mental performance person teaching you. Right. You know. And so it's it's you know I hate to say it's the wrapper around it because I don't I'm not one that you know I'm no branding expert and all these other things. But you know sometimes it's the it's the it's the wrapping around it yeah. just to, to, to tear it open, you know. For sure. Well, one more question before we, uh, we we tie it up here, and it's about reflection. So when you when you reflect on your whole career, what do you think you've learned the most about yourself? Yeah, I mean, I boy, I've learned, you know. And this is a daily process, man. You know, you talk about fears and, 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 and what that is. And, and, you know, why do we get, you know, why do I get stuck doing certain things or not doing certain things? And when you really peel it back, um, it boils down to some type of, of fear that you have not being enough, um, 
not the thing you're doing, not being perfect, right? The judgment around it. Um, and so I've learned in my career that, that anytime I was, you know, holding back a tough conversation with a player, right? Um, uh, tough conversation with anybody, um, uh, doing certain things, trying to taking certain risks. Um, I learned that, you know, but why, you know, if you really look, start looking at it, boy, why is this so difficult? What am I, what's, what's, you know, why won't I just dive in, you know, or let it go? Like, like it's good, it's good enough. Like let it just put it out there. Right. Is some type of, of fear. And boy, if you can recognize that and look, I'm not great at it, man. What I have become very, very aware of is that it's real and that it's there. And, um, if you can, if you can live with it and, you know, and I've named my, it's actually funny. I've named, um, my coaching business called lean in coaching. I named it that for two reasons. One was one impactful thing that I've read this book. I'm sure many folks have read it called the obstacles, the way that Ryan holiday has written, um, basically was all wrapped around, you know, the impediment to action advances action, which stands in a way becomes a way, which is basically go to your, go to the thing that's most scary to you, but go to it. And that's where the solutions will lie. And you'll figure it out if you have to go through it, around it, over it. But the answers are there. And the second more, more poignant reason was it's a good friend of mine that, that I do a lot of work with. Anytime I was nervous about something or anxious about something, he would always just say to me, John, just lean into it, man. Just lean into it. And what he was really saying, which I came to learn later, was have the fear and accept the fear and know what it is and, and go for it. And, and failure is learning and, and, and you'll see. And so because that's something that I'm always working on, I named my coaching business Lean In, not because I'm an expert in it, but because I need to see that in my damn face every day. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So it it reminds me, like, hey, man. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Got to lean in. Lean in. Right. Right on. You know, I I had a, a mindful or resilience trainer on my show just a few days ago and and we were talking about leaning in and one thing that he said which was really cool was um he's like we need to lean in we need to lean into our fear we need to lean into our practices uh we need to just lean in but he goes but i'm gonna ask everyone that's listening to to remember it's one thing to lean in but we need to lean in and move through so we need mm. to finish the process and move through the fear and we need to through our habits and through whatever it is, our routines. And then, and I was like, wow, okay, that, that definitely makes sense. So, so yeah. yeah. And, and you're right. Failure, it's, it's a learning device. It's, it's feedback, it's information. Um, you know, David Chappelle said a long time ago, he said, you know, failure is informative. I mean, when he said that, I was like, yeah, right. that's great. Right. So, that's cool that you've had that that reflection. So, how can my how can my listeners learn more about your your coaching, lean in coaching, uh, learn about any special projects, or follow you on social media? Grant, you're gonna you're gonna laugh and probably um, uh, this is something I need to lean into. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're telling me about your social media manager before. I didn't even know that was a thing, which is really awesome. Uh, let me answer the question first. If anybody, which I would love you to, wants to get a hold of me, believe it or not, you can email me, and it's jtourine, J-T-O-R-I-N-E, at Gmail. If you email me, I will get back to you. Now, I am on LinkedIn. I am on that. Cool. Um, and I'm not some old-school curmudgeon. I'm not against social media. Um, it's just not where my strength is, and it's not something I put time into. So I'm not – I actually – a few years ago, uh, more than a few years ago, a friend of mine, excuse me, in the NBA told me to get on Twitter. This was years ago. And I was like, are you out of your mind? It's like when it was first really exploding or whatever, at least publicly. And he goes, look, it's more than following Kim Kardashian. Like there's professional stuff on there. So he got me on Twitter. Well, then I became, you know, then I was reading it too much. So I cut myself off of Twitter years ago. And, and since I have no Instagram, none of that stuff, um, I probably should. There's probably a need for it. I'm sure I know there is. I'm not stupid. Um, Facebook and all that right now. 
Uh, you can get me on LinkedIn, or if you email me, I can assure you I will email you back um, unless there's something extenuating that I'm not sure about. But uh, that's it, man. I'm uh, I, I'm 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 being vulnerable and throwing it out there. All right. <laughs> well, I love it, man. Well, again, thank you for your energy and and your thoughts um, on. I think it's a very um, important and critical topic is, you know, with regards to developing our, our young athletes. And I think you're a wealth of knowledge and, uh, I can't wait to have you back on the show just to talk more about this topic and other topics that surround it. So again, John, thank you for being on my show today. Thanks, Grant. Appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, appreciate your questions. It really got me thinking and lit a fire in me. It was a lot of fun. 